created by David Hutchison and Kevin Woodley, the founders of InGoal Magazine. This is InGoal Radio, the podcast, a presentation of The Hockey Shop, source for sports Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. On episode 36, we connect with a guy strolling up the front sidewalk towards the 300 Win Clubhouse. Craig Anderson is just 22 W's from hitting the magical milestone for NHL victories. Our conversation details how stubbornness landed Anderson his first full-time roster spot as a goalie and how the veteran balances the evolving world of technique. Hello, everyone. I'm Darren Millard. Happy to report that Woody cornered Cam from the hockey shop for a gear segment on goalie bags. I requested this, of course, after discovering that my current version was too beat up to make the trip to Vegas and was going to leave equipment strewn from Toronto down to Nevada. I asked for available options and the boys delivered. Hutch, I'm going to let you know right now I opted for wheels and I refuse, absolutely refuse to feel less about myself. Is that okay? It's 100% okay. I think I said last time it drives me bonkers when I hear everybody saying if a kid is going to play, he better be able to pack the gear in. Technology is there for a reason. We don't need to throw our shoulders out, especially us old farts, Um, but even the little kids. So come on. Glad you're doing it. Glad you're not as vain about your vehicle as Woody is about his. Problem is Woody's trunk is just so tiny he couldn't fit a large bag in there anyway. Woody, I feel like you you do look down on me now. I don't. Uh, like I said, uh, I can make all the jokes I want about if your bag has wheels, you don't. I'm 46 years old. I don't have wheels anymore. It's the stupidest thing in the world. The only reason my bag doesn't is because wheel bags are brutal on hatchbacks and sedans. That's all there is to it. I, I had one trunk. It's those plastic ribs on the bottom. You always end up marking it, yep. marking it up and... Uh, I have plenty of room in my trunk on my car hutch. I can get my full bag and my pads in the back. No problem. Close it easy. Thanks to the folks at Audi Open Road in Vancouver for the great fast ride that still packs all my gear. Screw you, Hutch, and your little <laughs> your little your, your little electric version, whatever that thing is with the hamsters behind the wheels. But uh, yes, yeah, no, it's all good. It's no, I have no problem with uh, bags that have wheels. Uh, it's all good by me. And yeah, Cam gets into that. I mean, I was a little worried. Like if I ever piss Cam off, the size of the bags that they've got at the hockey shop, like there, there are a couple there. I'm worried he's just going to dummy me, throw me in a bag and pull me out with the trash at the end of the night. You could fit bodies in a couple of those things. They're like, it's either for the goalies or the mob. I'm not sure which one. So, but that's why we go to the hockey shop, right boys? Cause they've got everything, every size, every variation of every brand that you can imagine. Plus, you know, a few special items that are specific to goaltenders that you can't always find everywhere else. Uh, we've talked about a few over the past little while, whether it's, you know, custom knee wraps, um, uh, the Oneric, I finally said it right, the Oneric, <laughs> um, leggings, uh, gloves to wear under your gloves, or the latest from CCM, Bauer, Brian's Vaughn warrior uh, colors sizes and a staff that knows how to answer all your questions to make sure you get what you need to play your best uh, custom orders check them out if you can't do it in person at the hockey shop source for sports just outside of Vancouver in beautiful Surrey British Columbia make sure you check them on out online at thehockeyshop.com and all their social media feeds as well Instagram Twitter uh, THS goal have you guys, uh, it sounds like I'm the only one that's ever bought a vehicle just for lugging my goal equipment around. 
A vehicle uh, just for your goal equipment? Yeah. Like I, I, I switched to a truck a number of years ago just because it was so much easier for lugging my, my, my gear. And but, you drive a, a little electric vehicle and- It's not a little electric car. vehicle. It's a Prius V. I fit f- a family of four and all our gear all the way to Edmonton and back a couple of summers in a row. It's not a little electric hamster driven thing, Woody. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Woody, acceler- fit- Woody accelerates to pass somebody on the highway and uses more gas than I do for an entire trip. So whatever, bud. <laughs> so but but the point is you didn't you guys don't buy anything just to make it easier uh for you for lugging around the the equipment i'd love I, i'd get a truck at some point maybe if i wasn't commuting in and out of vancouver for work and uh but i and <laughs> i i would like i would and my bag would have wheels if i had a truck yeah. i absolutely my bag would have wheels if i had a truck and i would have no problem with that I don't. I like to go a little faster. I like to get there a little quicker. And yes, that means the occasional stop at the gas station. But I just grab a coffee while I'm there. So it's all good. Don't worry about it, Hutch. I'm good. <laughs> and Hutch just drives by waving. Uh, let us know. Uh, I catch at, him quick. Uh, through, uh, through social or through the email. Uh, have you ever bought a vehicle? just to make life easier for lugging your gear around? Uh, love to know. Uh, Woody, I will tell you this. I won't put the pads on the bag. Uh, that's that's just too much. I I can't go that far. Maybe for shipping it, uh, I'll I'll do that. But well, the the guys that strap everything to the bag, sticks and included, I can't do that. Well, no. there's that's the beauty of the hockey shop. You can go get a bag that the pads actually fit inside. Now that's not my style. I like to pull you know mm. haul them in as well. But you can get a bag big enough to also fit your pads. And here's. Whether that's for travel, if you're a guy that flies to different tournaments for beer league, that's where it's a real benefit to to have everything like you, Darren, moving to have everything in one bag, something like that can really help. Or if you happen to manage and play for the world's most absurd beer league team, raise his hand, um, where the goalie also runs the roster and coordinates the beer and hauls in the cooler and the team bag every day, as well as his own gear, sticks and pads. Then that might come in handy. I haven't you done do it. all that. I, I do. I do all that. Every time I get out of my car with a cooler full of beer, a pretty good sized team bag, all our spare jerseys, pucks, and water bottles, and then all my gear, like everyone else is just like, what kind of a team makes the goalie haul all that crap? Well, listen yeah. to the gear, listen to the gear segment today, and you'll find out exactly why Woody does that. <laughs> yes, yes, it's very enlightening. Uh, less than a week uh, to opening night in the NHL, which means final cuts, salary cap considerations, and waivers will lead to some crease movement. A couple of years ago, Vegas claimed Malcolm Subban. Last year, Curtis McElhaney was picked up by Carolina. Both turned in performances that elevated their NHL status. Who will it be in 2019? A few teams do have decisions. Uh, Pittsburgh and Winnipeg have three right now. Waivers required there. And Tampa danced around their delicate situation. Uh, Woody, uh, Pittsburgh and Winnipeg and then Tampa. Yeah, uh, uh, Pittsburgh has talked openly about uh, a fear of losing Tristan Jari and a willingness to trade him. Uh, Both Jari and Casey DeSmith require waivers. Obviously, Matt Murray's there for good. 
and there seems to be an openness to trading him. And of course, if you're another team that actually wants him, you just wait for them to put one on waivers. I saw Jim Rutherford talk even about maybe holding on to three goalies to start the season, maybe to encourage a trade versus a team just waiting on them to waive a guy. Winnipeg's in the same boat with Eric Comrie. Uh, His first year requiring waivers, having a pretty good preseason. And there are some people around the NHL that believe he's an NHL goalie. Uh, if you're one of those teams, and this is the caveat, right? If you're if you're going to claim a guy, it's not like you can't just claim Eric Comrie because you like him as a prospect and then bury him. If you claim him, you got to keep him. You got to keep him in the NHL. So you either have to believe in his upside immediately or be a team that's rebuilding to the point where it's okay to just sort of have him on your team and 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 let him grow into the role. Um, Tampa, I mean, they got all the goalies, right? All the goalies. But they put Louis Domingue and Mike Condon on waivers as soon as they could. I think it was September 21st without letting them on the ice in training camp uh, for a very particular reason. They couldn't afford either one of those guys to get hurt in training camp because then they would have had to carry them on their NHL roster. You can't demote a guy to the AHL if he gets hurt in the NHL and they don't have the cap space. So they waited until that first day you could put a guy to the minor leagues and through waivers. They did it with the Ming. They did it with Condon. Condon's obviously a rehab project. We've talked to him. Um, you know, he's going to get some time down there to sort of rediscover his game and maybe become a trade chip for them down the road. Domingue is on the market. You can have him. Uh, they've been very clear about wanting to find him a new home. A uh, little surprised there haven't been any takers given the season he had last year. I mean, 11 straight wins at one point, even with a 908. Uh, and so he's in the minors, but still available. That's sort of the two-edged sword for the Lightning. They couldn't keep him in camp and risk an injury. And they... And yet, if you send a guy down early, that's when you're least likely to lose him on waivers. Like, if you want to keep a guy and keep him in the minors, send him down as early as possible before other teams run into injury problems. Let's say, like the Leafs did with their PTO with Michael Newverth, uh, or like last year where the Leafs tried to get two guys down really late in the preseason and lost them both because other teams had run into injuries. To me, that was total mismanagement. If they had decided Sparks was their guy, they should have sent McElhenney and or picker down way sooner than they did all you do is increase the odds of a team having a need by waiting and and now toronto is in uh the exact opposite position where it's craig anderson or uh, frederick anderson and michael hutchison and neuvert that did, just didn't work out and it's uh, it's what's starting to swirl around whether toronto has to take a look at picking somebody up off waivers instead of worrying about losing somebody on waivers yeah and, and, to, and to to do that they basically have to come to the determination probably that they can get hutchison through waivers and down to the minor leagues because you still need three um and that whoever you're going to pick up is better and i'm not sure where they at on that obviously he had a good night the other night and it's just preseason but a nice performance i think 38 saves uh, so, uh, I'm not sure where they are on that. Do they see a Tristan Jari as an upgrade? Uh, only they can answer that. And uh, my guess is though, there, there are that Rutherford at the very least seems to think there are some teams that do see him as an upgrade and would claim him. And, you know, hence the little dance with the media about we'd rather trade him and we might just keep three to try and dissuade teams from just waiting on him. Well, you never really know what you can trust when somebody's talking at this time of year, do you? No. You're just trying oh. to stoke the market. You are just purely uh, thinking everybody's out to get us, aren't you? <laughs> no, but every, everybody's uh, we, playing we do have a game. Casimir, Casimir's in the Toronto system. Your buddy Hutch, my buddy Kaz. Well, yeah, yeah but how about Hutch? I mean, really? Yes, yes, that's true. Yeah, yeah. namesake. Although it's spelled different, right? He can't, he can't spell, but we'd still like to see him stick in the NHL. 
Uh, Toronto and anybody else with needs? I mean, Florida, Florida lost their number one goaltender. Or uh, Columbus lost their number one goalie. Florida, yeah, I think Columbus is just loaded with prospects. I, I, I'm not sure that they have an immediate need. I think I think Jonas Corpusal is going to surprise some people in Columbus. Um, and behind that, right, there's a lot of inexperience. So maybe they upgrade the backup position and just let the kids, Merzlekins, go to the minor leagues uh, and play a whole bunch. But obviously they like the upside in Elvis's game as well. So I wouldn't be surprised if they lo- roll with a Corpusalo. Merzlekin's tandem. The, the one that has a need to me is is maybe Florida, to be honest with you. Uh, yes, they got Bobrovsky. Yes, we had the article outlining how he has had no groin issues, you know, in the past three years since sort of switching to the two Finnish trainers after being plagued by them the three years previous. Um, and the, all the weight he lost that summer, 17 pounds of muscle, changed, sort of changed his physique. But they don't have much, but like Sam Montembeau is, is their, their backup right now. And even if you believe in him for that role, it's a tough role to transition into if Bob's going to be a workhorse because he's not going to play that much. And he doesn't require waivers. So get him playing time. And to do that, you have to have a number three option. And I, you know, I'm not sure that they have one they're comfortable with in the NHL right now. I, there is a team where I would get a guy with a little more experience to be my backup. And I would do like like the Predators did with Saros, like the Rangers did with Georgiev, and like Tampa did with Vasilevsky early in his career. Until he requires waivers, use the minor leagues as a place to get him starts. Have him with the team, have him learning what it's like to be a backup, have him training with your NHL goalie coach on a regular basis, week in, week out. But when he starts to get 10 days between starts, and you know your number one's going to roll through, say, a Saturday start on the weekend, you swap him with the guy in the minor leagues for a weekend, the guy in the minor leagues comes up, sits on the bench, and your kid goes down and plays two or three games over a three or four game stretch. You keep him fresh, but you still make him a part of the NHL team and a big party feature. Like to me, that's the that's the new model. You take advantage as long as a guy doesn't require waivers. And last time I checked, Montembeau doesn't. They have another year where they could do that, get him playing time and make him a part of the team. Right now, though, it looks like they're just going to keep him around. And that could mean keeping him in mothballs, depending on Bobrovsky's workload and depending how Montembeau plays, because he had moments last year. But at the end of the day, he actually finished with, I believe, a lower save percentage than both Luongo and Reimer, who were kind of you know, widely critiqued for the way they played. Hutch, when was the last time you used mothballs? <laughs> Never. Never, really, never. But I haven't heard and that the, other, the other thing you've talked about many times before, Kevin, is having that veteran presence that can sit on the bench for weeks at a time before coming in for a start. And if Florida tries that with uh, Montembeau, is uh, is he going to be able to handle that? Because he's probably never been in that position before. It's not ideal. At least they've got a really good goaltending coach in Robbie Tallis. Who, you yeah. know, I mean, there are guys that do a good job of keeping people fresh when they're not playing much. Robbie's one of those guys, so they've got that going for him. But it just you know, again, th- to me, this is the new model. We've seen several teams do it. It's not a secret anymore. And um, it, it it just doesn't make a ton of sense not to take advantage of it. And I shouldn't criticize them early because there's still time for them to grab one of these guys off waivers and, and do the same. Well, and it's the best of both worlds. You get some playing time and you're also exposed to the National Hockey League the paycheck in the National Hockey League uh, in some cases is is different uh, if you're on a, a two-way deal and uh, and you get the goalie coach. Yeah, and you you get you're still part of the team. Like you're still the yeah. backup. You're just the backup with playing time in the minors. And the other part of this that that people sort of um, sometimes miss out on is is that it's an insurance policy. Like this is this is also yeah. it's good to have more. 
Very few teams, seven out of 31 last year, made it through an entire season without using all three goaltenders. So adding to your depth chart and deepening your depth chart, adding a little more experience in that two slash three role is never a bad idea. Montembeau, if Bob gets hurt, Montembeau would still be the guy, even if he's in that transition, more likely if he has the higher upside, he'd still be the guy that probably comes in and plays for two weeks straight. You just don't want him being the guy to play every two weeks. Hutch, a question for you uh, as our voice of reason. If you're just popping down to the American Hockey League, getting a couple of starts and then going right back up and you're you're that guy all year, do the guys in the American Hockey League who are stuck there start to dislike you a little bit? I don't know. It's an excellent question. Haven't been in that yeah. position before, but I think everybody realizes he's a prospect that they're looking towards. So yeah. I think you have to, there have to be situations where there's guys on the team that are recognized as being groomed for the big leagues. And, uh, and I, I wouldn't think that would be an issue. It might be a little harder for the veteran that's brought in to be that number two slash yeah. three. Yeah. Can, can he handle that? And uh, what role has he been in before in his career? How's that going to go down in the locker room at the NHL level? That's why I lean on you. Voice of reason. Dad, on the Ingle Radio, the podcast. Uh, the Ottawa Senators are in the throes of a youth movement. More bluntly, I'd call it a total rebuild. In the last year, the team has traded away Mark Stone, Eric Carlson, Mike Hoffman, and Matt Duchesne, and more. Uh, Craig Anderson, however, is still there. 38-year-old is in the final year of a contract that could very well be his last in the NHL. If that's the case, Anderson will leave the way he entered the league, scratching and clawing for each tiny morsel of success. As tough as it is to hold the Ford in Ottawa's current stage of this rebuild, Anderson faced equal or perhaps more significant challenges cutting his teeth in the NHL with Chicago during the lows of the Blackhawks. Graduation out of Guelph, the Ontario Hockey League, Anderson won just 13 of 61 appearances. Those 13 wins were scattered over his first four years. He didn't exactly burst on the scene. However, here is Anderson, the second winningest American goaltender among active netminders. That's incredible. He doesn't follow a script, game to game or year to year. Something that you will quickly understand as you listen to a conversation involving the Ottawa Senators goaltender and Kevin Woodley on In Goal Radio, the podcast presented by thehockeyshop.com. I want to start, Craig, with where it started. We, we talked to guys about where the passion for the position started. Where did you play hockey first and then got into a goalie? How did you, Craig Anderson, become a goaltender way back when? Um, it started, gosh, when we were five or six years old. I think I always kind of tagged along with my brother. And, you know, he started playing hockey with my neighbor. And they needed a guy to stand in front of the garage door and take tennis balls. So uh, we definitely put a couple holes in the garage door from time to time. But... Um, that's kind of where it started the passion for, for just hanging out with the family, hanging out with the brother and the neighbor, just being the guy that was too small, you know, I was four and a half years younger. So just being the guy that was too small to, to play, um, I found the position just to kind of hang out, but started skating as a young boy and didn't really, uh, have the speed. Um, you know, so that was kind of part of it. Um, you know, I think my first intro to hockey was was uh, we rotated three goalies, you know, so you did play defense and then every third game you kind of played played nets. And uh, I just remember one game, you know, I was playing defense and I uh, refused to go on the ice. 
unless I could play goalie. So we were down maybe six, nothing after the first period. And, um, you know, my dad had the gear in the car. Uh, the coach came over after the period. He's like, Hey, your son won't play unless he plays goalie. And, um, that's kind of been ever, ever since that's kind of been, been the deal. Do you remember what age it was? Uh, I know the rink. I know where we're at. Um, the age had to be around six or seven years old. Um, it was might at the level. So, um, we're going back a few years, yeah, a few it's, years it's, here, it's, but it's, do, do you remember back. why? Like, do you remember what it was about the position that drew you to it way back when? Difference maker. I knew I could do it better than the other guy that was, that was playing. And I mean, like I said, it was fun. It was like, we were rotating three goalies through. So you had all your forward stuff on and you just kind of slapped the pads on and grabbed the goalie glove and blocker. And you didn't change, you know, chest protector or anything. It was just kind of like, go stand there. And, you know, eventually you did get real goalie gear, but for the first uh, year or so, it was just pretty much uh, almost like street hockey stuff. You just kind of clipped it on and, and went and played. Nice. Now, it's funny because today the game has changed. Obviously, right up to the level you're playing, goalie coaches, video sessions. We see that increasingly at, at, at a young age. Do you, what was it like for you growing up? Was it just all instinctual and self-taught? Do you remember when you had your first goalie coach? Because it, it's kind of changed. It has changed. And I think I was probably on the good side of, of the goalie coach. We had a good goalie camp in town that we went to, did two, three weeks every summer. Um, we, you know, my dad made sure that there was a goalie, goalie coach or, you know, we had Wednesday night goalie coach, uh, events with, with certain organizations that I was with. So there was always that, um, you know, help there available when you needed it. I think, uh, that's a little that, ahead of the curve. Like, I think so. I think, like I said, the one, the one organization I was at, um, and this is in Chicago, this just is for Chicago where, where I grew up, the, you know, the one where I started, playing goal there wasn't really a goalie coach but you know there was always a goalie camp that came to our rank that was really good and like i said i did two three weeks i'd chase the goalie camp around the local ranks of chicago to, to follow it around and get as much time as i could and then i think when i was a squirt um we had a full-time goalie coach as the assistant coach so the coach would work on stuff at the other end or run through drills and i'd be at the other end doing goalie coach stuff so it was, it was really from a young age where we did have that that expertise and i think it helped Okay, so you go from there, you play in the NAHL and then off to the OHL for a few years. What was what was Craig Anderson, the goalie, like back then compared to now? Like, how has your game evolved over all these years as, as the game itself has evolved? Uh, I think the, the biggest change is, is the way we play uh, on the post over the years. I think that's the biggest thing. I think I've, I've gone from pucks behind the net, <clears throat> stay on your feet, to guys are on their knees at all times, to... Um, you know, a guy like Steve Passmore, who literally stood on his feet, let the guy wrap it around, and he just stood there with, with a wall of pads. Uh, there was no going down whatsoever for him. And that's kind of how we started. You know, even when I got into the NHL level is don't go down for anything from behind the net. Stay on your feet so you can get out quick. Now everything's how quickly can you get from skate on post to the top of the crease. And guys are flying around much better. The guys have been doing it for a lot of years are doing it a lot better than I am. But it's a work in progress. You know, we work on it every day to try to, to smooth out that part of my game. It's funny. I watched you and Pierre grew, obviously the goalie coach for the Ottawa centers today, working on a little post play stuff. And he said it arises just from a certain situation that happened the other day in a preseason game. So here you are after all these years in the league and a situation presents itself in a game that's a little different or that you maybe didn't have a comfort level with. And now you're out there. I mean, I was gassed. I was tired just watching 
the work you guys were doing on the post. Here you are a couple of days later, repping it out to get comfortable. Is that what the process is like at this level? Like finding little details and little situations and just making sure you have a sort of an idea or a system or a, a comfort level with how to play that one? It, it comes down to comfort level. I think I watch, um, you know, I get started a few years back when, when Andrew Hammond came through and he did a lot of the skate on post play and, and you know, you, you start to try to incorporate it, but it's not natural to me. I haven't been doing it since I've been 10 years old. I don't, I don't feel comfortable just popping into it. Um, it's one of those things where I got to work on. And there's so much video nowadays in the game that, you know, someone can exploit you almost instantaneously just by watching a couple games. You know, they can go, okay, he's weak here, he's weak there. What, you know, so as a, as a player, you're always trying to, to, to get better and try to figure out what are my weaknesses? Where can I get better? Why do I get beat at these same spots? Um, you know, eventually you have to take a look inside and say, do I want to put in the work or do I not? And as long as I have that passion to continue to do the work and get better and, and, and have that drive, um, you know, we're out there learning new things and seeing what works and what doesn't. I still play... Um, bad angle shots differently than a lot of the young guys. And I'll continue to do that. But there are certain situations where I feel more comfortable being up or versus being down on that, uh, on that post. Is it still fun going through that process? Like, do you, do you, cause it can be grinding. Like I, it, there's a lot of work. Like I said, I was gassed just watching you guys rep that out. Um, do you still enjoy it? Like is, I think the company that is telling you what to do makes it easier to do it. If, if, if it wasn't for PG, uh, his personality, the way we, we gel together, the way he kind of understands the way I operate, I think um, I wouldn't enjoy it as much. And I think that would kind of take away from the passion. I mean, I've tried uh, numerous things that don't work and PG's like, all right, it doesn't work for you. Let's find something else that works for you. Where you get other goalie coaches that know it's gotta be this way. And eventually you can't do it their way. They just quit on you and it's like, do whatever you want. And that's just not, you know, conducive to, to getting better. I think it's, you know, the relationship that we have is, has been outstanding and, and we're going to continue to to find things that work better for us. A lot of back and forth there. I mean, is that, that relationship, how important is that for a goaltender? Because we, you know, you've been in one place for a while. PG's been there for a while. We see guys bounce around and there were times earlier in your career where you moved around and talking to different guys, they can go through that process. And, and at each stop, somebody wants to change them or somebody wants to do something different. And that could be tough as a goaltender. How did you get to the point where you knew what your foundation was? And yeah, I'm willing to try things, but this is still me and I'm sticking with it. Was that a process? Did it take a while? I think you have to have an open mind. I think going into certain goalie coaches or certain kind of st stations of your career, um, you know, early on, Tretiak was my first goalie coach, wasn't around much, came in, didn't speak a whole lot of English. Um, it was more of a, hey, just, just stop the puck. There was no technical side of things. Um, you know, if we walk through the career of, of Stefan Waite, right, he had a certain way of doing things. Um, you know, he obviously changed my thought process and, and you know, I didn't quite adapt as quickly as, as maybe he would like to have. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, he, he did bring a lot to my game that, that, you know, is the foundation of where I am today is of some of the thoughts that he's, I still carry around a sheet of paper he wrote out of uh, when I was playing in the minors for playoffs that these are things that you need to do well to, to have success. And I, you, st and I you still, still have, have that still really. Have yeah. Trent Yanni actually uh, laminated it and I've got it in my little carry case. Are there any you can share like that something? Cause it, it seems to me that like, I mean, 
for something to stand the test of time, it's got to be more than just good for your game. Like it, it, there's probably some universal stuff in there for a goalie. Yeah. I think that's the few things that, um, that are basics, right? The foundation that like you say is, is, is the key. And the key is, is position, patience, positioning, um, you know, being set and square to the puck. Like those are foundations that if you don't have them, doesn't matter what you do. If you don't have those foundations, that's, that's kind of where everything starts. And I think that's, you know, if I try to think back of what's on that paper and there was a lot with positioning, getting your feet set, be square to the shooter, don't cheat, you know, stuff like that, where, you know, when you're on a, a team where you get a lot of backdoor plays, you, you, your natural instinct is to, to start cheat for backdoor plays, but technically they're not your fault, right? From a, from a coach's standpoint, right? right? If you make that save, great. But if you let in the shot, cause you're cheating, that's on the goalie. So it's just simple reminders to kind of keep that foundation. Um, skating. When you talk about your foundations, like your movement on your skates is, is funny how you talk about it. Everybody plays behind the net plays on, on their knees now, but your skating is exceptional. Like I, I would call that a staple of your game. Where, where, where did that come from? Where did you become such a good skater? So balanced on your skates and in your movements. What's, what's the, would there be recommendations to kids um, that, things you did young in your career that, that allowed you to be that good? I think a lot of it has to do with just time on the ice. I think, you know, being at the rink and being on the ice whenever you could. I think, you know, we, I remember going from rink to rink with skate guards on, you know, my dad carrying me out of one rink to go play at another rink just because you were playing on two teams or you had a goalie lesson at one rink and showed up late for, actually showed up late for a, this is squirt I was playing for a guy named Steve Richmond who uh, had a cup of tea in the, in the national league. And, and he was the coach and I showed up late for a game. I was still there before the game, but I was not there 30 minutes before the game. Cause I was at a goalie lesson at some other rink. So I get there 15, 10, 15 minutes, like, you know, Zamboni's on the ice, but yeah. I'm already fully dressed. Right. Yeah. Wheel in like thinking I'm going to play. He's like, no, we're going to play six guys for the first period. Cause you were late. And we are like, okay. We ended up winning that game nine one, but uh, they didn't need a goalie. <laughs> but it's just it was just one of those things where you you, you go get the ice. You, you you got fifteen minutes ice somewhere. You go get on there and, and you you work on things. And I think a part of the skating was too was having the goalie coach. You know, you did three weeks of goalie camp a summer. Maybe it was too much. Maybe not. Who who knows? But um, if you love the if you if you love the game that much, it's it's you know there's always a skating session at goalie schools, and most of the kids don't want to do it. We didn't want to do it as kids either, but that is the foundation of, of, of playing. You can't, if you can't move, you can't play. I was going to say increasingly. So as the game has become like fair to say, even, I mean, as fast as it's ever been East West and the speed of it, you just got to be able to move now. You got to move and you got to be able to read and react and, and anticipate. Well, if you watch most of the goalies in the league now, they all anticipate the game really, really well. How that fine line between anticipation and as you used the word cheating earlier, like, that, I guess that it's probably easier for me to say, like, where is that fine line? How do you find it? Because you're a guy who, again, reads the game really well. How much of that is experience? Are you watching video? Are you picking up tendencies? Or is it just sort of innate after all these years? The more you see a, an individual or a player, the more you can get a read on them. So like the first week of training camp, you've got a bunch of guys and 50 guys coming in and, you know, guy gets a shot from the slot. You have no idea where he's going. By the fourth week of hockey and you've got your team kind of narrowed down. Everything's kind of, you've seen your guys every day. You got a pretty good idea of where everybody likes to shoot. 
and you pick up what their releases are and what's their tendencies and, and what they look like on, on, an, on an everyday basis. And it's easier now to pick up what they like to do. And, um, and that's when they have time, right? In the game, they don't have time. Anytime a guy has time in the slot, he's going to score every time, unless he misses his shot. There's no ifs, ands, buts about it. Sticks are too good. Players are too good. Now you put a little bit of pressure on them, you know, a little defensive stick on their hands, whatnot. Um, the positioning of your defenseman, the positioning of where the puck's at, that can all kind of give you the little telltales of, of where they want to shoot or, or what's available. I think Jonathan Quick had an article not, not too long, maybe a couple of years ago, about the anticipation of a goalie yep. and what the D's doing gives him a read of what he's supposed to be doing. And, and that's it's no different. Everybody has to kind of learn uh, what works for them and, and how they anticipate. But I think that's one of the main things is, is reading off the pressure of, of what's available from, yeah. from your defensive, what they're giving up. So you're reading, you're reading other players, other tendencies, but also how your defensemen are going to force those tendencies. And there's a, I guess, a trust element involved in that too. A hundred percent. You have to, you guys have to be on the same page and as far as goalie defensemen. And I think that's one thing that comes with time. You know, the longer you play with guys, the more, you know, their tendencies, I think, um, you know, a few years back when we, we had a really good, uh, you know, all three of us were, it was, I think it was a shortened season. And we had three goalies and we all had good numbers that year. Um, but it was, it was easy to anticipate. We had, we had D that pressured hard and pressured early, which allowed the goalies to, to read and react easily and, and, and make, uh, make their own reads. I don't know if you can give it away. What goes into reading a shot though? Like what for Craig Anderson, is it, is, how much of it is it experience? How much of it is, are you looking at blade angle? How much of it is just watching the puck? Um, I'm going to go back in names here again with Steve Passmore. Um, you know, I was in Norfolk. He came down. We were bouncing back and forth with my, Michael Layton and myself going up and down. And Passmore was kind of like the, you know, the, the guy that fell on the sword. And, you know, while we got yo-yoed up and down, but he was the guy that said, at the end of practice, beginning of practice, stand in your goal line. Don't even watch the puck. Watch the body and just see what the body's doing. If you don't stop any, it doesn't matter. You're not trying to stop the puck. You're trying to see if he shoots glove side high. You, you, you obviously know that because it just went by you high glove, but you weren't watching the puck. You were watching their body, watching their eyes, watching their hands. And that, that kind of stuck with me since I was 20, 20 21 years old. And I, that is how you learn. That's, that's how you understand. So now when you're watching the puck, you're picking up the cues in the background as opposed to the foreground. So your foreground is now on the puck, but the background is now picking up. Is it back in his skates, forward in his skates? It's a little bit more difficult now because the sticks are so good. Guys can shoot from anywhere close to their feet, further away, front, back foot, doesn't matter now. Where 15, 18 years ago, the sticks weren't that great. Much easier to read. That ability, just because there's all the extra stuff, all the, the, the little cues to a read, does it, that just becomes an eight. Like you said, that's just kind of all sitting there. You're no longer thinking about it. Is that when you've got it, when you're watching the puck, but all the other things are subliminal, like you're not, is it conscious? Is it, I know it's a kind of a tough question, but. I don't think anyone sits there and goes, I'm going to watch this guy's hands instead right. of the, 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 the puck. Right. That, I think it's just, but if you don't ever, cause it, it, since you're two years old, you're always like, watch the puck, watch the puck, watch the puck. Right. So you never are told or taught to, to watch for the cues, right? So there's a cause and effect. So the effect is he shoots puck, high glove, or super hard. Why did he shoot super hard or why did he shoot high glove? So you got to get to the cause of it. And if you can figure out the cause, it helps you stop the effect. 
I can be like hand placement, blade angle, shoulders, feet, all those yeah. things. All Some, sometimes it's just their eyes too. That's why we got rid of the uh, mirrored visors. Yes, for the goalies. Yes, yeah, because we because we're gonna do something for the goalies. Yeah. Everything else is against yeah. them. Um, who do you like to watch these days? Who did you grow up watching? Who was who was on your bedroom wall if there was a poster? Uh, I had a few. Um, Grant Fuhr. I nice. grew up. I grew up wearing thirty-one whenever I had a chance to pick a number. Um, so I got a segue quickly now. Why forty-one now? Thirty-one was taken by Peter Budai. Okay. In uh, Colorado, and it was not gonna walk on anyone's toes there and um so yeah so grew up watching grand fear and then next two favorite would have been patty wah and felix poppin okay what about now do you watch other goalies do you watch other games at this after all these years in the league do you still watch other people uh i think we watch enough film that we don't have to actually sit down and watch watch a, watch game. a game but um you know there's certain guys that are more fun to watch than others the guys that aren't afraid to to roll around two pad stack and you know, those are the guys that uh, are exciting to watch because you just don't know what they're going to do. And, you know, I'd like to think that I'm still a guy that stands up on bad angle shots and you just don't see that anymore. So maybe guys like watching me, who knows? Do you, when you have young shooters come in in a camp or like, I mean, in this day, these day and age, it's like there are so many young players and your team has a lot of them. When you throw at a two pad stack that like they've grown up expecting goalies to do certain things. You catch these guys off guards. Yeah, sometimes. I think that the main one is just you give them half the net and they think that they're going to score and then they hit you in the chest because they put their head down right at the last second because like, oh, I got this. And then it frustrates a lot of guys. And I, I try not to do that too much with some of the veteran guys. But, uh, you know, it might, might be one of those days where I feel like being a jerk, I'll do that to them. Can you still do that? Is there still any of that in a game or is everything just sort of, is the game too fast to show something and then take it away? Uh, I tried it the other day in training camp during a, like a three on three down low drill and uh, it was Alex Formentin and I uh, hope I got his name right. Um, I think so. I covered him at World Juniors. I think that was. We call him Formy. Anyways, so Formy, you know, head down, not even looking at the net, saw that I was kind of cheating, so to say, for this, for the for the pass and the three on three drill. And he f fired one at the net and it hit, hit the post completely caught me off guard, but that's how good the sticks are. Like he's not even looking like he's in a shooting position. All of a sudden, bam, it's off his stick. You can't even react. Yeah. Okay. Is that the, the biggest difference in the game? I talked about the speed of the game is that is, you've talked about it a couple of times, the releases and the sticks and yeah, the stick technology from 10 years ago is to now is, is night and day. I think, Again, it's, you know, when first Synergy came out back in what, 2001, it was like, yep. wow, this thing's amazing. And then you went to two-piece. Guys were using two-pieces pretty much my first four or five years pro. And then finally the one-pieces have really taken over. But a one-piece from 2007 compared to 2019 is not even comparable. Now, goalie gears evolved. Unfortunately, at the NHL level, it's usually smaller, smaller, smaller. You've seen some of those evolutions over your career. Um, like, if, if I were to put you in a pair of pads from when you first started, what would, you, what would your reaction be? Um, they'd be real soft and real flexible. They'd be all over the place. I think uh, I actually dug out a pair of TPSs from Florida, which would have been 07, 08 kind of time frame. And I don't know how I wore those. I have no idea. Tretiak, you mentioned him. What did you, I mean, did, did, did you do any crazy barrel roll type off ice drills or was he very just in and out a little bit? Uh, he'd be in for training camp and he took, he took, uh, you know, my, I remember when we were at, uh, the edge in Bensonville for our training camp and he'd take us out and me and Michael Layton were 
running laps around the building and doing this. It wasn't crazy, but it was just an abnormal warm up with, with Trechiak and, um, the old like knee downs and just barrel yeah, rolls mean, this, this was, and some of that video emerged this was, recently. This was so 18 years ago. So hard to really pinpoint exactly what all we did, but it was definitely unorthodox. Um, but again, it was one of those things where that's what he knew and worked for him. You know, his biggest message, I think, was just be mentally determined to beat the other guy. Just you're one-on-one with the shooter. Beat him. That was his, that was his message. Beat, beat the other guy. Last one. I'll let you go on this one. Cars, the passion for it, um, racing simulations, involved in a race team. Are there any takeaways like between that hobby and your life as an NHL goaltender or any synergies between the two where time in a simulation, I guess would we call it, is a cockpit the right term if, when you're doing a yeah. simulation race Yeah. Or, or out on a track that ties into the visions or the reads or the speed of a game and any, is there any positive correlation there? Is it just a really good way to get your mind off it? Uh, it's good for the mind to get away. It's what I like to do to, to kind of free my mind, get away from the game. It's kind of like a safe place. Um, go to the track, hang out with those guys, somebody away from the game that doesn't care about hockey, right? Like I want to talk about cars. They're there to talk about cars. They're not like, Hey, what happened the other night? You know, like there's none of that. When you get into that, it's, it's purely fun, enjoyment, um, mind away from the game. As far as driving, uh, simulation car doesn't matter. It's more of a mental, um, focus, mental focus, mental training, you're not going to get every corner perfect, right? You're, you're driving a 15 corner track, 20 corner track. You're not going to get every corner perfect, but it's okay. I screwed up that corner. How, how can I make it better next time? Or if I don't focus here, now I got another corner coming up and it's, it's always look ahead, look ahead and anticipate. Um, so, so you, much like a one puck at a time, next puck, if I'm thinking about the last goal, I yep. can't make the next save. The mentality is similar. Very similar. I think that's, that's, probably the best way to explain it is it's, it's a good mental exercise to, to look ahead and, and put things behind you. Cause you can worry about that corner. Let's say you screw up corner three, right? You've got now corner four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So if you worry about corner three, you just screwed up the next one and the next one worry about corner three, the next time you come around the next lap. So at the end of the game, go back. Okay. Why goal number two go in? Okay. Let's work at that. As opposed to thinking about it in the moment, you can kind of use that as a tool to, to look ahead. Yeah. Cause if you're thinking about goal number two, while well, the play's still going on, chances are number three is coming next. Yeah. So it's, the main, the, the, probably the one main physical difference is that when you're tracking a puck, it's out the end. When you're racing or, or driving on a track, you're always looking ahead. So you're, you're focusing on the exit or the next corner. Like you're always, your eyes are always ahead and you never tracking the corner to the car coming at you. Right. So like if you tracked it to the, the, the corner to your eyes, to the car, if you bring it all the way back, you won't be ready for the exit or for the next, you won't put the car where you wanted to put it at the end of the current turn. Whereas in hockey, if you don't watch the puck all the way in, you ain't going to stop it. So right. it's, you got to train the eyes differently. That's, that's probably the main difference physically, but so I'm so used to tracking everything. So my biggest problem when I get on track is that I turn in you know, I'm, I'm looking at the corner ahead, but then when I get to the corner, I'm still staring at the corner instead of staring at the exit point. And that's hockey creeping into your driving. Correct. So again, ah. it's one of those things where, you know, the corner, when you talk to a race instructor or a driving instructor, he's like, you already know the car is there. Like, don't worry about it. And you have to, in order to understand speed for your body to understand speed, 
you have to have your focal point focused on and having both sides going at the same time or speed. I don't know if I explained that right. No, but no. So you like, you have to be in the middle of it. So, it's- so if you focus on a cone that's out way out front, you can see everything going by on both sides at the same speed. As right. soon as you turn and focus now, like to the right where that cone is, and now it's now different speeds coming across. And everything is off. And everything's off. So you actually won't put it in a better, you'll put it in a better spot if you continue to look ahead. Wow. Yeah. Like, again, I don't know a whole lot about driving. Because is this every, something you want to do when, when, when hockey's done? Like, will you make that shift and, and do more of it? I know you're involved, you're involved yeah. with teams as well, like on so an ownership or. So we've got, uh, not so much an ownership, but a, a partnership with, partnership, with okay. a, a group out of, out of Calabogie, uh, Tooth Auto Sport. And we, you know, have multiple vehicles that, uh, I own a couple. There's other guys in town that have a couple and we, um, they, they either rent them out or the, the owners drive them and their support, their coaching, their crew in the car, they're making sure it's ready anytime they need it. Um, you know, it's just, you have to have a team again, it's going back. If you don't have a team, you can't do it. Same thing in hockey. You can't do it by yourself. Um, you know, every once in a while there'll be a guy that shows up one man show, but he's not going to be very competitive. Right. Right. Okay. Hey, listen, Craig, this has been way longer than I planned. I appreciate your patience with me and all your insights. I know our our listeners are really going to enjoy this. So thank you very much. Awesome. Appreciate it. Thank you. He is one of those guys that I always stop and listen to because he's opinionated. He's been around long enough to cover the eras that, that I have uh, been exposed to in the national hockey league. Craig Anderson is, uh, is worth paying attention to. And his comment, Woody, as I throw it back to you about staying true to some of his save techniques, uh, because he's just used to it and, and it doesn't come as natural as, as other techniques i i enjoyed that i like that he's not trying to force everything into that package well no and and there's you know we talked a lot about reverse as well that that morning and we're gonna actually have some video um at inglemag.com as well as everybody wants to know about the bauer switch here's a little teaser Uh, we did talk about a switch to bauer gear and rather than include that in the podcast we're gonna make you go to the website because i've got some video of him in the gear and some of the features of the models he chose and him talking about why and the process of getting into it so make sure you check out in this week um but they repped out a certain reverse vh play where it was like a, a puck banged off the side of the net and then got passed out and it was him and pierre grew PG just walking through it, getting comfortable with different situations. One of the reasons, like he goes boot inside post for his RVH, there's just a physical limitation. Like he didn't start doing reverse VH at a, at a very young age. He can't go skate on post and get a good seal. Like the, there's just not that range of motion. And this is a guy who, like I really wish some of our conversations after the record button stop could also have been captured. Like he talked about neutral pelvis, and how he has been working on obtaining a neutral pelvis and using a neutral pelvis through his stance since 2004. What does that and mean? And having hip surgery, sort of. We see a lot of it. Uh, we've seen a lot of it. It's become more of a theory in terms of biomechanics and training. 
Uh, it's sort of tucking your pelvis. The Swedes call it belly in, balls out. And in terms of setting setting your pelvis, because it, it gets rid of that anterior tilt through the back and that bending in the lower oh, back, okay. yeah. which which can cause problems in the hips, shuts down the front of the hips, causes all kinds of problems. Anyway, so just physically, he's not able to get into the reverse that a lot of people might see as an ideal reverse. And so he has to adapt around that. And so, like I said, um, we were going to do riding in Kevin in cars with goalies again. Uh, he ended up coming back. They had a practice at UBC and we drove back to Vancouver, but Craig was so gracious with his time on a game on a day where game day where he wasn't going to play. We ended up riding and talking in the car, going for lunch and then doing the interview. So if you hear the beeping in the back room, we're, we're back in his hotel in a hallway in the conference center. And the beeping is the elevator going <laughs> up and down and landing at our floor. And that half hour conversation was just a tiny window into the overall conversation. So there are elements that we're going to bring out at ingoldmag.com. I'm with you guys. I could listen to it. And and there are takeaways galore in that interview uh, and even more to come at ingoldmag.com. And we can't thank him enough that's the kind of guy he is just talks goaltending, right? Just loves to talk goaltending and has a real diverse and broad experience with the position. A lot of people have criticized his post play over the years. He's not ignorant to it. He just, there are some things that he wants to, or it's things that he can't do. And so some, some different techniques he used, he needs to use to adjust to it. One other piece that, you know, to tease that in goal piece again, Kevin, I, I believe uh, it was in that Bauer segment where he actually talks about how he wears his gear and how that enables him to get into the RVH a little bit better. Um, so there's a bit of a gear tip uh, for folks there as well. I th- I thought this was one of the most interesting interviews we've had because he's a, an incredibly well-thought guy who comes at some things from different angles than we've heard before. Uh, I mentioned offline that we... Uh, the fact that he could name a specific model of player stick and how it affected the evolution of the technology, uh, I thought was fascinating. I mean, we we all talk about how sticks have influenced the games, but I think his his take on it was uh, different than anything I've heard before. That it's not just about shot velocity, but it's uh, how you're able to get shots off now in a more deceptive way. Uh, two things, though, really stood out for me that I think are worth um, taking away. One, I just want to look at a little bit more. Uh, maybe it's just me. It's new, too. But he talked about uh, the blocker position on the hand and how that affects that elbow hole. Um, something I've been thinking about recently. I'm not sure it's enough to make a huge difference, but uh, we'll experiment around with that a little bit. Um, the other one that that I would love to try, uh, that little tip about standing in the net in practice and not looking at the puck. And uh, only learning how to read a shooter's body language, I thought was fascinating. Uh, I would not suggest that all the minor hockey goaltenders out there just decide to step in the net and not look at the puck without letting your coach know what's going on uh, or talking to your coach about it. But it's a fascinating piece that I'd love to try. We will continue to follow that as well as uh, the idea of a neutral pelvis. Uh, when when he explained that, would explain that, it it actually made sense about the the belly in and the balls out. Never, never thought about uh, going that way but it's the it's about as x-rated as we get here on ingle radio uh, gear segment brought to you by the great people at the hockey shop source for sports surrey the hockey shop.com the theme this week packing it in as in loading up the bag woody welcome back to the hockey shop source for sports out here in beautiful surrey british columbia suburbs of vancouver if you ever have a chance to catch them in person. If not, make sure you check them out at thehockeyshop.com. We're down in what I call goalie heaven. 
the basement, an entire floor dedicated to goaltending with the guy running it, Cam Matwiv. Uh, we have walked through so many different elements of gear. We're now in our 35th episode. Uh, we've talked about everything, but I realize the one thing we haven't talked about is how you get all that gear to the rink. So bags, um, something I think we forget about quite often until we have one that doesn't suit our needs. As odd as this may seem a topic, what are some of the options uh, beyond wheels or no wheels? And you know what they say, if your bag has wheels, Cam. So so that's the first question here. Cam that with, do you carry or do you wheel? I carry my bag. I carry my bag. My poor shoulders, but I carry my bag. Okay, so here's going to be a confession. I carry my bag too, and I'd like to pretend all this stupid macho stuff actually matters. But the truth is, I used to have a wheel bag, and the only reason I don't now, especially as a guy who's had back surgery and has a bad shoulder, the only reason I don't have a wheel bag now is I found, because I was in a hatchback uh, sedan situation, uh, that the wheels and the, the hard plastic base were just murder on the trunk and the back paint, especially when you're bagged after a long skate and you're just too lazy to fit it in there properly, and you're sliding those plastic rails over the... Tends to do a little damage. So as much as I'd like to pretend it's the whole macho thing, the truth is, if I had a truck, my bag would have wheels too. So let, let's... That aside, um, let's talk about the options. Wheels, non-wheels, sizes, custom, team colors... Um, you've got it all out there on the floor. I don't even know where to start. I'm going to leave it to you. I'm going to put all the onus on you. Where do we start the bag conversation? So unlike last week, I think I'm back in the driver's seat here. Um, starting like bags are one of those interesting ones and it's really based on what the consumer kind of needs. So, um, some of the quick questions that I answer is a, yeah. Do you want to carry your gear? Do you need to wheel your gear? Are you traveling lots? How big's your car? How big's the boot of your car? You know, those are all really important questions when deciding, you know, what bag should I get? Um, in terms of for carry bags, we do have quite a few different options. And yes, custom bags are available. Um, in terms of uh, minimums and depending on what you're wanting to do, I'll deflect to our team sales department, which you can give us a call at 604-589-8299 and just ask for team sales. And team sales, I should say, like this is another topic and maybe we'll bring somebody in from team sales in the future. Not just custom bags. Um, with your team logo on it, uh, but all kinds of options on the full custom jerseys. Jerseys, socks, pant covers, anything you need. And you got to have a logo on it. These are the guys to talk to. I manage my beer league team. It's Frankly, it's the easiest way to make sure they never kick me off is if I'm in charge of the finances and take care of uh, you know uh, getting new jerseys. And the job that uh, you guys did with Laga on our sort of Seahawks-esque uh, jerseys, second to none. We'll post some pictures on social media, but that's a topic for another day. So custom goes through team sales. I just need a bag off the rack. I'm coming in. First question you ask me. So once again, yeah, do you, do you want to wheel or carry? And then again, with in terms of the carry bags, I think we got about four or five different options. Um, they all kind of hovered around that 110 price point um, ish, uh, varying degrees of materials, depending on which bag you go to. We've got true warrior CCM. We got a Bauer option as well. Um, and even a grit carry bag as well. It's something new that we just uh, picked up. But uh, what the biggest thing about uh, those carry bags is, is uh, obviously do with space inside the bag. Usually with a carry bag, you know, in most cases you can fit everything in. It takes a little bit of feng shui, but most guys are still carrying their pads and everything else is kind of going in the bag with those guys. Um, so that's a big question. Whether you want to put your pads in the bag or mm -hmm. carry them separately, mm -hmm. Um, and again, that your the size of the bag and your needs is going to depend on that. And if you're going for one of the monsters, you can fit pads into. 
chances are you're not getting that in a sedan trunk. No, so that's when you start to look at a the wheel bags and and b yeah they do tend to start to take up quite a bit more room. Now I will say like the biggest bag that we carry that will fit everything in um, is uh, we have a CCM uh, Pro wheel bag. It's called. Um, it's it's massive. Like I don't think it gets much bigger. I think if we go through the Instagram on our old feed, I think there's a picture of me actually sitting in the bag all zipped up with just my head poking out. See if we can find that for the uh, for the good old Insta post. But. So not only can you get all your gear to the rink, pads included, wheel it in there, no problems, less stress, just easy peasy. But if some guy happens to hit you in the face with a clapper from close range and leave you bleeding, you could probably fit his body in the bag on the way out and wheel it out without anyone being the wiser. I, I'm not going to condone the use of our wheel bags in that way, shape, or form, but hey, you do you with it after you're done. <laughs> but that said, there's, there's still a couple more options beyond that CCM. We do have a nice big Brian's one. Also comes in an intermediate version, which is quite nice for the kid that needs a wheel bag and needs a lot of extra space, but doesn't quite need a full senior bag because they are a bit ridiculous for anyone who's under you know, 12, 13. Um, that said, uh, one of the more questions we get kind of asked a lot, we do carry the Grit Sumo Tower bag. Um, that is a bag where you can basically organize all your gear and have it set up for any, in front of you almost like a locker. Um, your pegs do, or your pads do strap to the outside, but the thing is the bag does weigh about 50 pounds unloaded sort of thing. So you, uh, it's like, it really is like a portable locker. Yeah. Yeah. Weight and, all. and weight and all. Yeah. So just be prepared that you got to kind of do a little bit of heavy lifting here and there. Wouldn't, wouldn't fit in the back of a Civic, put it that way. Okay. So your vehicle matters in terms of size, uh, whether you want to get your pads in, I guess basically the size of you as a goalie and how much equipment you're wearing. Like you said, young kids probably don't need a senior bag to get everything inside. Um, do we have any? Do we have any specials going on? Are we? I believe we still have some uh, Bauer Premium wheel bags left, and I think they're on sale for 109. I'd have to double check and see how many we have left. I know we're getting pretty lean on those, but. Uh, that's kind of our big sale bag right now. Other than that, everything is kind of regular price for now. Okay. And is that, uh, is this a time of year when guys are looking for bags? Is this a, when's, when's, when is, there's bag where you, you get back to the rink and you realize yours is falling apart. No crap. I got to get one. That's kind of more how the cycle goes. Yeah. They're uh, unfortunately the way bags are is that you'll see zippers blow and this, that, and the other, and usually it's time for a new bag, but, uh, um, yeah, it, 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 every other day there's somebody asking for a bag. When say there's a hotter time than others for that, for sure. Okay, perfect. Camp, thanks for your time. We, uh, we, 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 I enjoyed talking about bags with you. <laughs> Bag away. Thank you. That was a request by me that you uh, embraced, Woody, and I appreciate that because it was, uh, it was timely and I needed it done. Yeah, and you're probably not the only one, so it makes a, it's, it's a good thing. I think most people have most of their gear ready to go, maybe buying a few things here and there as the season starts and they find out something else is worn out. And I think bags kind of fit that, right? You don't, until, all it's like one of those things you don't think about and all of a sudden you're like, you go to throw your stuff and you're like, ah, oh, there's a little hole or you need a new one, it's just worn out and now's the time to buy it. And make sure you check out our friends at The Hockey Shop and thehockeyshop.com for all your <laughs> goalie bag needs. And the team services idea is, is great too, because uh, that that comes in handy with all the specialized team bags and and team colors and everybody looking the same and going down that path. Yeah, no, and uh, they do have a great team services department. I promise I will post on social media our jerseys, for example, out here in Vancouver, my beer league team. 
when I joined them, they were 20 years in. I've been with them now for 12 ever since I started playing, I guess. So they are the Hawks. And you can be the Hawks in Vancouver, but after the rivalries between the Canucks and the Blackhawks, it's kind of like, yeah, do we, re- we don't want to be those Hawks. We don't want to be, you know, headdress Blackhawks. And yet most people here in Vancouver are also Seahawks fans. So yeah. we created a jersey that is basically the Seahawks logo with a Jofa on top. And like everything else matches like the Seahawks, the 12, 12 man feathers down the side, the Seahawks collars, Seahawks lettering, Seahawks numbers. And they created those jerseys for us. So we basically and the amount of comments we got on those jerseys when we go play, we basically have Seahawks jerseys, a hockey equivalent and matching socks. So we got a few guys on our team that think it's a little too try hardish of us, like that we're a bunch of tryhards and they refuse to wear the matching socks. <clears throat> Certain guys just don't want to look like they're trying too hard, but they do a great job. If you want to look stylish, if you want to look like like a like like pro level team, they've got people that can take care of you in team sales and team services. I would think that we're not going to post a picture of that jersey on social. I think we're going to post a picture of Kevin attempting a two pad stack while wearing that jersey. <laughs> and we've got him. And yeah, the mask is good too. Can you actually see the jersey on that one? Because I'm all twisted and contorted, <laughs> guys. Well, you certainly I, can't see the logo because it's face down on the ice. But yeah, I, I'm not. Uh, I am a modern goaltender. I do not. I will admit this. I do not know how to do a two pad stack. It's usually how are you, the question is how are you going to look like a, a try hard goaltender this year when your matching CCM Flex fours are now in the Ontario Hockey League? Yeah. This is the life of Ingol. Um, chances are I have something else that matches good enough in the garage still. Do you uh, do you wear socks, uh, Woody? Hutch? Do you guys wear matching socks to your uniform that, no. that you're playing in? No, never have. It's hard enough to get dressed. Do I really need to add a layer? Yeah. <laughs> good, good solid Although point Although my gear, my gear tip of the day, Junior Hutch wears <laughs> socks because you put the socks over the knee pads, you put a strip of sock tape just underneath, and now those knee pads won't slide down. Yeah. It's, uh, there's a really, really practical uh, part of it. I always thought Marty Brodeur was way ahead of the game when he just used the sweats that, uh, that looked like socks. And, I, and and he, and he sort of uh, killed two birds with the one stone. There. I used to do that when I first started. I just wore sweatpants when I first learned how to play goal. I just had sweatpants and stuff. Now I would suggest it's funny because this goes back to another conversation we had on the gear segment with the hockey shop a couple of weeks ago when they brought in um, the Oneric brand of of leggings with the built in sort of uh, skate cut proof material from the ankle sort of up to mid calf. And there's a lesson here, and I've got some NHL guys now that are double layering this where they will have cut proof socks and also on top of that, an extra layer of cut proof, whether it's Oneric or CCM makes an undergarment that has a built in cut proof over the back of the heel. And the reason, at least for one case, is uh, I talked to him last week, Richard Bachman of the Vancouver Canucks, who had his Achilles severed by a skate midway through last season well-wearing cut-resistant socks. He now double layers. That one layer is often not enough. As sharp as these things are, they're like razor blades on feet. Guy stepped down, came across the back of his leg, went right through the sock and severed his Achilles right down to a couple strands. I'm surprised it doesn't happen in beer leagues, uh, men's league more often with everybody crashing into each other and, uh, and stepping. And I mean, that's, that's the most dangerous part of the game. Uh, we, and I agree with that whole double layering, including wearing danglers, which you two uh, have yet to uh, jump on board. Right. 
we're not the wisest. No, no, no. But you are the goalie gurus. And that's why we listen to you and uh, go to ingolmag.com as well, because you know where it's at. Uh, next week, we welcome in the start of the National Hockey League season. St. Louis will raise the stand like a banner on opening night, which will offer another reminder of just how far Jordan Bennington has traveled in less than a year. Bennington and Craig Anderson are great examples of athletes who took a while to find their stride, but stayed true to their belief in themselves. And it's that lesson that we leave you with today. Thanks for Craig and Cam and their contributions to episode 36. On behalf of Dave Hutchison and Kevin Woodley, I'm Darren Millard reminding you there is no such thing as a bad rebound. It's proof you made a stop and it sets you up to pad that save total. Goodbye for now.